Hey, good morning. Welcome to Journey Church. My name is Scott. I'm the lead pastor here. For those of you that are, are new or are visiting with us, thank you for, for joining us. Thank you for taking an hour or so out of your, your Sunday morning to spend it here with us. Um, and for those of you that were able to enjoy spring break, those of you who got a spring break, I hope you enjoyed that. It's, it's like Olivia mentioned, it's, it's over. I think I broke the heart of a few kids this morning mentioning that, but they're going to they're head back to school tomorrow. So it's, it's all good for all the moms and dads out there. So... Hey, this morning we're going to continue in um, looking at a story that we looked at last week. Now, if you weren't here last week, Jamie Johnson was, was here and preaching out of John chapter 11. Now, if, for those of you who don't know Jamie Johnson, he's a, one of the campus pastors at, at George Fox University. But what I didn't realize last week was that is not only is he a, a pastor, but he's apparently a prophet as well. Because he was talking about the St. Peter's basketball team that, that he, he had said, ironically, had had denied two teams, and then I, he made it sound like they were going to deny three teams the opportunity to win, and they did. They wouldn't be denied three times, um, and they were continuing on. So just thank him if that was your, your bracket and for his help and all of that. Um, but what he did was he kind of just laid the foundation in John chapter 11, where he told, retold the story of, of Lazarus getting sick, Jesus hearing about it from, from Mary and Martha as they sent word to him. And, and then his decision to kind of delay an opportunity to go and, and visit him. But eventually he grabbed his disciples and, and he had, went back to Judea, a place where he had just been, um, his life had just been threatened. They were just about to stone him, but he went back in order to, to assist. And really what we talked about last week is how he went back to, to offer comfort, to, to step into the grief that Mary and, and Martha were experiencing in, in the loss of, of their brother, Lazarus. One who, who Jesus loved. John is clear about that in those verses that we looked at last week, that this is one that, that Jesus loved. What I love about John in this gospel is when he looks at these signs, like this was the seventh sign in John's gospel that, that point to Jesus as the Messiah King. But, but John doesn't just say, hey, here's something Jesus did. Here's, it was really cool. It was really powerful. It was a miracle. But he actually gives a, a story with it. He gives all of these details. And we've talked about before how the details matter. But he just, he tells an entire story. And not simply to, to paint a clear picture. But he does it on purpose. He had a reason for doing that. And it's found in John chapter uh, 20. And you don't have to flip there because I'm going to read it to you. But at the end of John chapter 20. And I've mentioned this a few Sundays um, already in this series, but in verse 30 and 31, at the end of John's gospel, he says this, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And what we saw last week was that Jesus entered into the, the grieving. He entered into the, the lives of Mary and Martha. He, he brought his presence. But what we'll see today was that he's not simply going to leave them nor their brother Lazarus there in, the, in their death, in, in their grieving, in their, in their darkness. But he's actually going to move them towards the light. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, I encourage you to open up to John chapter 11. We're going to look at verse 38. Starting there, we're going to kind of move our way through the most of this chapter today, but in verse 38, it, it, John kind of picks up the story here when he says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Now, we're going to just kind of look at 
a few verses at a time as we make our way through the rest of this story. But, but as Jesus arrives at a tomb, he sees that there's this a stone that was rolled over a cave. Now, this doesn't make a ton of sense to us. We don't typically bury our dead in, in a tomb or in a cave, and we don't typically roll a, a stone over it. But I think when we look at this story, we often underestimate the, the stone in the story. Because this stone, it, 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 there was a picture, probably will come up on the screen, that will show an idea of what the grave probably looked like. This is what they assume was, was Lazarus's grave. And, and that's probably a, about a three to four foot entrance there. So that stone would have to be about three to four feet tall, probably about two to three feet wide, maybe about a, a foot thick. And, and if you've done the math, which I, I spent some time doing this week, just looking at how much does stone weigh? Well, depending upon the stone, it weighs anywhere from like 150 to 170 pounds per cubic feet, which means that a stone the size that would cover this grave would be anywhere from 700 to 1,200 pounds. So it would take a number of people to, to move this stone, and, and that just sounds strange to us, that we would put a, a stone over the grave. Why, why wouldn't you just close the coffin and, and we bury them and, and just move on? But the stone, it served a purpose. It actually served two purposes. The first is this, is, is that stone, because it was so large and so heavy and really, in, in some sense, immovable, it, it actually kept out people and kept out animals. So it served as, as a way to keep people out. Now, not only that, the stone would actually kind of seal that tomb shut. It would try to lay up as flush as, as possible, and so it would, it would actually keep death and decay inside. So for, la- for this tomb, it, had, it served two purposes. The stone, would, it would keep people out, but it would also keep death and decay inside. Now, like I said, this is a little bit strange or foreign to us. And so for me, my mind doesn't go to the, the reality of it, that, but maybe just metaphorically thinking like, that is something that we've become very good at as people. And I know this for myself, and maybe you can relate as well, that, that we've gotten really good at placing a stone over our heart, a stone over our soul that would kind of keep entrance um, difficult, make it hard for people to, to get in and, and to see what is, what is either dark, what is decaying. And so it also, that stone that we put on our own heart actually serves the same purpose. It, it keeps people out and it keeps the death and decay inside. And so we are similar in, in that sense, even though this didn't make sense to us. But the question is like, why, why would they do that? And I think we kind of get an answer from Martha in this next verse. In verse 39 where we'll pick up, Jesus says, take the stone away. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Now again, like this, was, this request to, to move the stone was, was no small request. This, this would require a, a number of people to, to move the stones. And, and trust me, I know, like uh, last summer, Natasha and I thought it would be a great idea to move what we thought was just a rock from the backyard to the front yard. And, and it took uh, four of us. It, it, we needed four people. We needed a hand truck and, and maybe even a few swear words to get that thing down to where we need. Okay, I'm just kidding. We didn't need a hand truck. But we didn't need the, the swear words either. So I, I'll ask one of my friends to repent later, but, <laughs> but 
but it took all four of us to move this. And when I texted them, I said, hey, I have a rock that we need to move. And I think once we saw it and we got it dug out, no, this is not a rock. This is a, a stone that probably weighed 700 to 1,200 pounds. And we just muscled that thing in from the backyard to the front yard. Um, but here in this story, Martha's concern about the stone being rolled away was she, had no, she was not worried about a sore back. She wasn't worried about swear words. She wasn't worried about uh, people being tired. What she was worried about was, was the smell. Now, I realize that we don't often use the, the King James version of the Bible here at, at Journey Church, but today I think the King James really captures this well. And, and I think it's my youngest son, Brady, I think this is one of his favorite verses. He laughs every time I read it. But let me read this verse to you in the King James Version. He says, Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said, or saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. <laughs> for he hath been dead for four days. Now this is the reason why we roll stones over our heart and we roll stones over our soul because we stinketh. Now, for those who maybe think like that's, that's just what I do, like I, I know that I do that. I know I cover up my heart and my soul. I know I try to keep people out. I try to keep the decay and the death inside. Like this is not unique to you. This is something that's been going on and has continued on from really from the very beginning, from the first time we saw humanity disobey God, when the first time a, the, a bite was taken out of the fruit and Adam and Eve decided it's better to hide from God to, to, than to stand before God. Like we've been hiding and, and cowering and covering up ever since. And why? Like why would we do that? We want it because we want to cover up our guilt. We want to cover up our shame. We want to cover up really the the stench that's found within. Now, I know that we've talked a lot over the last uh, week, month or, or so about Lent. And again, for many of us or many of you, the, this might be something new a, new, a new practice, a new rhythm of, of life or of, of the year to take 40 days and, and to self-reflect, to take 40 days and, and to, to be introspective, to take 40 days and to look and see where do I need to where do I need to repent? Where do I need to turn away? And where do I need to turn back towards, towards Jesus? But that, this season, this 40 days, it actually provides, at least I know it has for me, this unique opportunity for me to actually roll the stone away on my own and take a look inside and, and evaluate the decay, to look at maybe the, the areas that, where there is either, there's either death or, or dying and to, and to find where... The smell maybe is, is coming from. And if, and if you're anything like me, you don't enjoy this. Like this isn't what we wake up wanting to do. Like this, that, the first thing that pops into our mind, I want to think about all the stuff I've done wrong last week. It's not the first thing that we lean into. We don't want to look at the darkness in, in our hearts. We don't want to look at, at our smell. We don't want to try to figure out where, where is the decay coming from. But for us... The reality is, is that the way out of the stench is actually into new life. Is that way out is actually through the tomb. Mitchell already said this today, that, that the reality that um, what's dead, only what's dead can be resurrected. And what Mitchell said this morning was that like, without a good Friday, 
there could be no Easter. Because only what's dead can be resurrected. We know that Jesus understood that about himself. He knew that was the step that he was going to have to take. But I think for us, there's a reality of that as well. And John, or sorry, Paul explains that very well in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, when he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And we'll come back to that verse in just a bit, but for now, let's jump back into the story at at verse 40. We're there, Jesus said, and he's kind of replying to to Martha. He says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Now, if you were paying attention when we read through this story last week, the first, you know, 30 some odd verses in John chapter 11, Jesus never really says this to Martha. But if we go back to the beginning of chapter 11, in verses 3 and 4, we actually see that they sent word to Jesus. Let me read to what it says in verses 3 and 4. This won't be up on the the screen, but it says in verse 3, So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love, Lazarus, is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. You see, the sisters, they sent word to Jesus. Maybe Jesus just simply sent this word back to them. But really, what I think what is going on here is, is what's similar to what we read in John chapter 1, uh, verses 50 and 51. Now, this was a while back, so you're going to even have to either have to look back or just remember what we talked about on that, on that Sunday. But John chapter 1, verses 50 and 51, this happens right before Jesus performs his first miracle, right before he, he changes water into wine, he has this encounter with, with Nathaniel. And Nathaniel was found by Philip. Philip was found by Jesus. And, and so Philip went and found Nathaniel and said, hey, we just found the, the Messiah, the Son of God. And, and Nathaniel's not really sure. And so Philip says, hey, come and see. And, and there has this, Philip, or Nathaniel has this interaction with Jesus where Jesus saw him under the tree and he was amazed by it. And in verse 51, Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. And then he added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You see, what I think probably happened is that Jesus had this kind of interaction with everyone who would decide at some point to follow him. He had this interaction with, with Nathaniel in this moment. Like, you can, you can believe me because you're, you're seeing the, the great things that I'm doing, but you're going to see even greater things than that. And Mary and Martha, they were, they were women who were following Jesus. So my guess is that Jesus had said something very similar to them. He said, believe in me and you will see heaven invading earth. As Paul puts it, you will see me do immeasurably more than you could ask, think, or imagine. And that's why Jesus asked Mary, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So in verse 41, it continues. It says, they took the stone away. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, or I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Here again, Jesus points to a couple things. He points to his relationship to the Father. 
he points to the fact that the Father was, was sending him into this reality and Jesus was knowing what he was being sent into. And then he also, he, I think John actually got verse, his verse that we, uh, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 that we read earlier where he explains his purpose for writing. I think he got that from Jesus who said, I said this for the benefit of those people standing here that they may believe that you, the Father, sent me the Son, the Messiah, the Son of God. And so in verse 43, it carries on and says, When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take the grave clothes off and let him go. A few weeks ago, maybe three, we, we looked at John chapter 10. We looked at, at when Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, and he says the good shepherd, he knows his sheep, and he calls them by name, and they will hear his voice, and they will come to him. And we see this actually playing out with Jesus and, and Lazarus, where Jesus calls him by name, and, and in a moment we'll see that, that Lazarus actually comes out to Jesus. But this calling out, it wasn't just like a gentle here, sheepy, sheepy, sheepy. <laughs> he wasn't just like kind of offering some food. No, this was a, a shout. This was a loud voice. This was what I would call was a wake-up call. Remember what Jesus had said to his disciples in the beginning of this chapter was, chapter was our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, Paul actually says something pretty similar. Paul says there, he says, This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, Christ, and Christ will shine on you. Now when you hear that, it, maybe your question is, what, is, what does the this mean? When he says, this is why it is said, what does Paul mean by this? Well, for that, you have to jump back into verses uh, 8 through 14, where it says this. He says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. And if you're wondering what those are, you just skip back to verse 3 in chapter 5 and and read through the list of, of the deeds of darkness that Paul describes there. He says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You see here, Paul, he's just continuing the work that Jesus had started in John chapter 12, but probably even before that, where Paul would call people out of darkness. He would call them out of death. He would call them out of their decay, and he would call them into the light. He would call them into light. He would call them into goodness and and righteousness and truth. But here's the the thing I think for us today, as, as we think about those two opposites, the, the dark, where there's death and decay, 
in the light where there is life and, and goodness. I think most of us sleepwalk somewhere between the two. I, I, I don't believe very many of us reside constantly in the, in the darkness, in, in the decay, in the depravity. We, we, we go there sometimes, but we don't reside there. We also don't reside in the light, in, in, in true righteousness, and in true right relationship, in, in truth, and in goodness. We go there. We, we want to be there. But I feel like most of the time we find ourselves just sleepwalking somewhere between these two dark and, and light spots. Now, I don't know if you know anybody that, that sleepwalks. I, I happen to know a couple that, that live in my house. And, um, but, and most of the time, it, it's, it's just entertaining um, when people are sleepwalking. But here's the, here's the problem with, with sleepwalking, is that when you're sleepwalking, is, is you're essentially awake, right? You're interacting with people, waking me up, usually in the middle of the night, and searching for stuff. And <laughs> that's our unique experience. But, it, they, they, but they believe what they, they're in reality, but their reality is skewed. Their reality is, is warped. Their reality is based off of, off of the dream. And they don't enter back into reality until they've been either awakened, and, and I guess they don't enter back into a reality, but they're satisfied either to be awakened or just sent back to sleep. And I think in this moment, Jesus was, was raising and awakening and calling out Lazarus. And I think if we're honest, I think we could all use this kind of, of wake-up call to, to call us out of sleepwalking through this life and to start walking in the reality of resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus, which we've talked about and we will continue to talk about and we will emphasize on Easter Sunday, but also Jesus' resurrection in us as well. Brennan Manning, in, in his book, Abba's Child, he, he says this, I thought it was fitting. He says, for me, the most radical demand of the Christian faith lies in summoning the courage to say yes to the present risenness of Christ. Now, this is the belief that resurrection, it isn't limited to either like the past or the future, but the resurrection power of Jesus Christ is available here and now, it's always present tense. It's, it's always active. Jesus is, is here. Jesus is now. And our belief in that, it actually transforms and, and changes the way that we live. The trouble is, and maybe you can relate to this, the trouble is I think we've convinced ourselves that to get to that point, to get to that point where, where Jesus is just living in and, and through us, we've got a whole lot of things that we need to fix. We've got a whole lot of, of darkness and decay and, and depravity and disordered desires and just, and just sin that we need to get fixed. We need to take care of. We need to, to manage and correct these things and get back onto the right trajectory because if we don't, like we can't walk with Jesus in us and if we haven't taken care of this. And most of that happens like on our own. And we just try to white knuckle it. We just try to, to pound it into submission. And, and if you've ever tried to do that, if you've ever tried to just... Fix it on your own. If you, unless you've had more luck than I have, it, it just rarely works. The idea of just simply trying to replace the sin with, with hard work 
or to replace the darkness, this type of replacement, it, it doesn't work. And that's actually not how, how Jesus says, I don't, I don't believe how Jesus has intended it to work. I read a, a devotion uh, a few weeks ago by a guy named J.D. Walt. If you're looking for a great uh, daily devotional, just get an email. You can look up the daily text with J.D. Walt. And, and I don't believe, well, I was going to try to say we won't be disappointed. But you might get frustrated because he'll challenge you. But, but listen to what he says related to all this. He says, Jesus doesn't work by replacement. He works by displacement. When Jesus Christ is set apart as Lord in our hearts and enthroned as king, he displaces our disordered affections, our dysfunctional desires, idols, and garden variety sin. His light displaces my darkness. His life displaces my death. His order displaces my chaos. His wholeness displaces my brokenness. His attentiveness displaces my distractedness. His joy displaces my despair. His peace displaces my anxiety. His fullness displaces my emptiness. His attachment displaces my addictions. We can stop giving all our energy and focus to the old broken self in our lives the minute we decide to really give the run and reign of our heart to him. This is the key right here. Give Jesus time and space and he will fill us with all the fullness of God. And, I, and that's why we often just talk in this place about following Jesus and about following Jesus together because the, the more that we are, are just with Jesus in that submissive relationship, surrendering ourselves, dying to ourselves, the more we spend time with him in that posture, the more we become like him. And the more we become like Jesus, the more we begin to do the things that Jesus does. And the more that he just begins to naturally live and, and dwell and, and flow in, through, and beyond us. That's how we actually move from a, a state of trying to just replace sin, death, and decay, and actually just have a displaced presence of Jesus in us. Where as he fills us, all of these things are just shoved out to the side, shoved off, and and. and Really, he's taken hold of, of the space. He's taken ground and he's taken territory and he's, hopefully, we don't let things back in. I mean, this is again what we read in John, or Galatians chapter two, verse 20, where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me invite the, the worship team up. And as they come up, we're going to take communion again this morning. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that, that every Sunday leading up to Easter during this Lenten season, we've decided to, to take communion. And part of that is just to kind of follow the rhythm of, of the, the Lenten season where you, you fast or you abstain from something for these six days of the week, but then Sunday is like a mini Easter where we will celebrate the resurrection and we will feast. So we won't be fasting today, but we are going to feast on the, on the body of Christ. And, and when Christ instituted this, when he had his last supper with his disciples and he kind of pointed like, this is how I want you to do this in remembrance of me and until I come again, he, he stood there with his disciples and, and he broke the bread and he gave thanks over the bread. He said, this is my body, which is for you. 
And then similarly, he, he took the cup and, and he gave thanks for it and said, this is the, the cup of the new covenant in my blood. And after giving them both, he says, do this in remembrance of me and continue to do this, continue to proclaim my death until I return. And I can't help but think that the disciples, as they sat there listening to Jesus share this Passover meal with them, but with more significance, that their minds didn't go back to what Jesus had said in chapter 6, in verses 56 and 58. That's where Jesus talks about being the bread of life. And listen to these words of what Jesus said in verses 56 and 58. He says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, abides in me, is connected to me, is filled by me. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to prepare to take communion, and Olivia will share a few more things with you before that. But would you join me in in praying? Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the way that you, you know us, and you call us by name. Lord, you, you ask us to roll the stone away, the stone over our soul, the stone over our heart, knowing full well what you'll find on the inside. And yet what I love about this story, Jesus, is that we don't see you moving away from the tomb, but we see you moving toward it. Toward it. We don't see you moving away from, from the darkness, but bringing the light into it. And so, Jesus, we ask that as we do some of this hard work, and it, and it does feel hard, and it does feel Like, this isn't what we want to do, but as we just look in our heart and in our soul, when we look at the decay and we look at the darkness, when we look at the death, help us to to see those things and to, to carry them with us out into the light so that they can be exposed before you, where you can offer us forgiveness for the things that that we need forgiveness for, where we can be made in right standing with you. Jesus, we know that you are a good and kind and gentle and loving shepherd, a good, kind, gentle, and loving Father, that you aren't here to to shame us in all of this, but to rescue us from it. You simply are inviting us out, inviting us into light, inviting us into life. Would you give us the courage to walk in the present risenness of yourself? Jesus, I pray that today that you would help us to walk in your presence, pleasing you more and more, that you would help us to take up our cross today and to follow you. And Jesus, we ask that today you would fill us with your spirit and ripen your fruit in us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You were the word at the beginning One with God
John was really intentional with, with these seven signs. I believe in, in the order of them and, and the fact that he placed the raising of, of Lazarus as the, the penultimate sign. The penultimate is if you, I don't know if you've ever done like long jumping or high jumping or just any kind of running jumping, but it's that, it's that step before the, the jumping step. It's like you drop down in order to be positioned. And, and I think that John was just setting us up for what Jesus would do on the cross and beyond the cross in his resurrection pointing to this sign to say like there's nothing that's too far gone nothing too far decayed nothing too far dead that i can't resuscitate it and resurrect it and bring it back to new life like there's there's a number of weeks before we actually get to the the resurrection in john's gospel there's a a lot to learn between uh palm sunday and good friday and then even Resurrection Sunday in John's Gospel. So we're going to get there eventually. But, but I'm excited to see what the Lord has to teach us in the days ahead as we finish out the season of Lent. As we move through Holy Week. And as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and his desire to resurrect us in the days ahead. So I look forward to seeing you next Sunday as we continue in this story. I hope you guys have a great week. Take the presence of Jesus with you wherever you go. We'll see you next Sunday.